Hello and welcome to Joel Johnson's Money Wisdom. I'm John Stillman, alongside Joel Johnson, Certified Financial Planner and the CEO of Johnson Brunetti, the official wealth management partner of the Yukon Huskies. Joel has been published in Forbes and the Hartford Business Journal. He's the host of Better Money on WFSB Channel 3 on the Saturday and Sunday morning news with Kara Sundland in Hartford. Also in Boston, you can see Better Money on the weekends on WCBV Channel 5. He's been an analyst for Fox Connecticut, NBC 30, and WTNH Channel 8. He's an author. He's written more now than six of his own books, most famously The Money Map. He's with us today. Joel, always a pleasure to get your wisdom. I wanted to kick off today's show by mentioning something that's been in the news here fairly recently. Uh, The former CEO of Wells Fargo, John Stumpf has been barred from the banking industry. He has to pay a $17.5 million fine because of his connection to the scandal. I don't know if you remember, a few years ago, uh, it came out that Wells Fargo was essentially opening fake accounts for customers uh, in order to meet sales quotas. And uh, so because of his leadership of the company at that time, he's now barred from the industry. Pretty interesting. Yeah, it is. And I remember watching the Senate hearings when he had to go up in front of the, I don't know if it was the House Finance Committee or the Senate Committee, but uh, they were just grilling him on how this could happen under his watch. And it was really unfortunate situation. And obviously, as a CEO, he's responsible for, for things that go on inside the organization. But what they had created was they had created an incentive system where people inside the bank um, were compensated or bonused based on how many accounts people ha- uh, the customers had. So no customer was hurt here. There was no no money was lost by a customer or anything like that. But what would happen is somebody would come in and they'd open up a savings account and so on. And because that person, that teller at the bank or that financial advisor at the bank had the um, bonus structure set up, where they got bonused for opening more accounts, the person would open two accounts instead of the one or three accounts. And so you had these people with 15 accounts that only really had money in a checking and a savings account, but they had 15 accounts open with Wells Fargo. And so um, it, it was just, it was a mess. And um, um, and it was a, an example of a really strong financial institution with a tremendous reputation um, back then. I mean, Wells Fargo, J.P. Morgan, I mean, these institutions were, and J.P. Morgan didn't do anything wrong, by the way. I'm just mentioning them. But, you know, they were the pinnacle of well-run banks. And yet Wells Fargo um, made some stumbles and it's just been a disaster for them. And they still haven't recovered because not all the bad information got out. And I'm not sure if the CEOs were trying to, if the you know, CEOs and the top management was trying to cover it up. But I think it was one of those things that reached so deep into the organization because this culture of bonusing people for opening more accounts, it just kept coming out. So it wasn't one of these things where, okay, all the bad news is out. The company's going to do a better job. A few people get fired and we move on. It was, you know, three months later, some more stuff comes out. And three months after that, some more stuff. And it went on for like a year and a half. So it's been a disaster for the company. Um, it's obviously hurt the employees, the many, many tens of thousands of people that work for Wells Fargo because their reputation has been tarnished and the bank is struggling with business because of it. And it you know, just goes to show that you don't want to create a culture that rewards an activity that you haven't completely thought through. So here's an incredibly ironic story. So I have a friend who's now a financial advisor, but several years ago, he worked at Wells Fargo. And he actually got fired from Wells Fargo for not hitting his sales quotas, for not opening enough new customer accounts. So you can imagine that he was tickled pink 
when the thing that he'd got fired for, basically he found out all of his peers were doing it in a fraudulent way. So pretty interesting. Joel, let's talk about, let's dive deep into the psyche of the average investor in the area. And uh, let's talk about the way that they were raised, how that affects the way that they view money and financial planning now. Because often those things can have a significant effect on you, whether you even realize it or not. Well, no question. I mean, you know, a lot of things go back, and it's kind of a psychological term that I'm sure many of us have heard, that family of origin issues. And um, family of origin goes a lot deeper than just, oh, you know, did you have conflict with your parents or were you damaged in some way? It goes to your philosophy of money, too. Um, One of the things I talk about in my book, um, The Wealthy Think Differently, is I talk about the differences in the way people approach money and the way they think about money, the way they handle money. And a lot of that comes down to who they were as a child, how they saw their parents, if they had two parents, how they saw their parents handle money. Um, And it's not just if you were rich or if you were poor. It was the attitudes that you picked up about money growing up. So tell me about, I know there probably aren't a lot of these people still living that you interact with, but you've been in the business a long time. So I know you used to deal with this person, somebody who grew up, lived through the Great Depression as a child. How did that usually affect their financial behavior as an adult? So I think of my grandfather, my grandfather, Grandpa Pete, he came over here on a boat from Norway when he was 16. And um, my mom was born in 1934. So he was probably uh, 1934. He was probably 20, 25 years old at that point. And so he had seen the depression in his teen years. And then, of course, all the way through probably when he was 30 years old. So there's 15 years of his life that he saw this, this, just this horrible financial situation. You know, massive unemployment, bread lines, uh, that he actually left Norway because they were having economic difficulties at the time. One of the things that my grandpa did because of that is he he just did not want to ever have any debt. Um, yes, he would get a mortgage to buy a home, but he would pay that off as soon as possible. He was extremely frugal. Um, he would, you know, my grandma would clip coupons. They had these things called S and H green stamps back then. You would collect these green stamps and. I'm not even sure how they worked. I think you would go to the grocery store and, and the green stamps became a certain amount of money that you could spend at the grocery store. And you got more green stamps by, it's kind of like a rewards program back then, but it's not an app on a phone. It's these little green stamps. And so they were very, very frugal and that had a huge effect on them. And then because of that, it had a huge effect on their children. So my mom was the second of four kids and she grew up remembering those philosophies that her mother and father had. And even though she wasn't quite as extreme as my grandma and grandpa were, she picked up on some of that. So anybody that grew up in the Depression or was influenced heavily by somebody that went through the Depression, um, they definitely have their financial behavior affected. They are typically very anti-debt, which I think we could use more of in this day and age. And they tend to maybe uh, forego purchases they wait to get purchases. They're not as into instant gratification. And they definitely don't want to use credit cards or finance vehicles um, as quickly as maybe somebody that wasn't affected by that, that tumultuous time in our economy. What about people who grew up poor, not like Great Depression poor, but after the Depression, baby boomer age, but grew up in a very poor household? Um, how do you see their relationship with money as adults? Well, a lot of this has to do with what they were told about money. So, you know, you can grow up in a poor household and you can 
you can come out of that household with a philosophy that, hey, if I work hard enough, if I find the opportunity that I can, I can do well. And sometimes even when you're poor, you aspire towards people that are business owners and people that are more successful. So that's one route somebody can go. But a lot of times people that grow up in poor households, they come out with this philosophy that anybody that has money is bad. Um, if somebody has money or if a company is big, they've ripped off the little guy to get there. And so it really depends not so much growing up poor, but what was the attitude that maybe came through your parents, um, your uncles and aunts, maybe your grandparents? You know, was it that attitude that the man is out there to rip us off? Because if that's the attitude, then they're going to have a very different relationship with money than somebody that says, you know what, we might have a tough time, but we can get out of it. You know, I can work really hard and, you know, if I get a few good breaks and I work really hard and I am ready when an opportunity comes along, maybe I can do okay. So two very different attitudes. It doesn't have a, have to do so much as if you were poor or not. It has to do with the messages that you receive from the people around you. How about the other end of the spectrum? Somebody who grew up in a wealthy household, do they usually end up achieving wealth themselves as an adult or does it not work that way? Well, usual, usually is, is kind of a word I, I hesitate a little bit about. Um, in my experience, third generation wealth, so let's say um, my dad created uh, a chain of grocery stores and he did really, really well. For me to come into that business and run it well, that is a challenge um, because I didn't build it, right? So it's it's harder. I don't know what it was like for my dad to work 16-hour days and, and have to, you know, go down and pick up the produce from the produce market himself because he couldn't afford to pay a truck driver. And, you know, I don't know what he went through to do that. So it's hard enough for him to pass that on to my generation, the second generation of that business, and am I competent to run it? Do I have an entitlement attitude? Um, but then to go to the third generation, very, very difficult, extremely difficult, and very, very rare. And the problem is we only hear in the media about these success stories. But for every success story, I can tell you, especially in our business doing financial planning, we have so many business owners that come in and and uh, they inherited a business and they just ran it into the ground. And so it really depends on the wealthy family that somebody grew up in, but particularly with businesses, very hard to pass them on through the generations. Now, there's another side of that. There are some extremely wealthy families in our country that make a massive contribution um, to society, and maybe the kids and the grandkids of the people that built these massive businesses are now completely involved in either charity work or, um, or public service or so on. So it's real hard to tell what usually happens, but I do know statistically it's very hard for businesses to pass on multiple generations. So, Joey, you mentioned that a lot of this has to do with basically the attitude that your parents had about money and the things that they passed on to you. How, how do most families communicate about money? Is it productively, in a more unhealthy way, or just not at all? Like, what do you see? I would say most of the time it's not enough. I think that's the best way to put it. They don't communicate enough about money. Now, I'm a father of four boys. My oldest is 30. My youngest is 20. Uh, years old. And it's a challenge to talk to your kids about money. Um, my oldest grew up in a very different world financially that we were in as a family as the youngest because we became fairly successful um, when the youngest you know, was coming up through high school and so on. And, and so they not only did they have a different experience themselves, 
between my oldest and my youngest, but also, you know, how did we communicate with money? I tell you, the kids don't want to hear anything. You know, I'm talking to them about money and so on, and, and uh, you know, how teenagers are. They, they, my kids are very respectful, and they're good kids, but, you know, they may not necessarily think I understand what I'm talking about, even though I own a financial business. So uh, it's a challenge. Um, I did my best, but I tell you, some families don't talk about money at all. Um, my mother and my father's um, families, they did not talk about money. In fact, you just don't ask about money. You don't talk about it. It's one of those elephant in the room situations. So it's very important as people get older in life or if you have aging parents that you start having conversations about money as awkward as it may be because it's important that we know each other's situation. My kids need to know my situation and they do. They know our situation. Um, I need to be involved with my mom and dad. My mom and dad, they're going to be 84 and 86 this year. They're losing the ability to make real sharp decisions. They're looking for help, and they need help organizing their finances and so on. And so it's important that families talk about money. Um, I wouldn't say they communicate well or poorly. They just don't communicate enough. And so it's been an interesting conversation we've had thus far in the program, talking about not only how you grew up, but how the things that you picked up on growing up influenced your philosophy about money, your use of money. And think about how that affects your financial planning. A good financial planner will flush this stuff out. They will find out from you how you feel. What are your patterns? What are your philosophies about money? This is not just dollars and cents that you come in and we do an analysis and we tell you, here's what you should do. A lot of good financial planning is in a sense, being a coach, almost being a therapist around money. And so it's important that we get to know you before we make recommendations. If you're working with a financial advisor that just looks at you as a number and they look at your investment statements and they kind of move uh, forward just from a purely analytical standpoint, in my opinion, they're not doing nearly the job that they could be doing if they understand how you think about money. What are your fears? What are your goals? So uh, with that said, we would love to sit down with you. We'd love you to come in let us sit down, have a conversation about money. Um, let you know, you know, I, my, I'm an open book. I'll talk to you about how I grew up and what my philosophy is about money now and what I've done for my financial planning. And we want to be able to help you. Um, we'll give you a second opinion. There's no charge. There's no obligation. You don't have to become a client. But we want to put in your hands our money map. Our money map is our financial plan. And we'll do that customized for you. We'll give you our recommendations. You can decide whether you want to implement those with us. And if you don't, that's fine too. But we want you to take advantage of a different view, a different way of approaching financial planning that I think will benefit you and your family much more than just the analytical side of financial planning. So give us a call. Set up a time to come in and visit. The number is 1-800-705-1232. Once again, that's 1-800-705-1232. Um, call, set up a time to come in and visit with us. We'd love to get to know you a little bit. You will get a lot of value out of getting our money map, which is our one-page financial plan, and also our opinions and our recommendations on your individual situation. Again, no obligation. Just give us a buzz, 800-705-1232. You can call or text that number, whichever is easiest for you, 800 1232 That's 800 705 
You're listening to Joel Johnson's Money Wisdom. Joel is a certified financial planner and the CEO of Johnson Brunetti, the official wealth management partner of the Yukon Huskies. Let's open up the mailbag, Joel. Let's start today with Charles, who says, at the age of 79, after being retired for 10 years, I think I finally have peace of mind about our financial situation, and I don't worry about us running out of money anymore. But now I'm thinking that we're going to have a million or more that we'll never spend, and we don't have any kids to pass it on to. Should I just start spending as much as I can to make up for the last 10 years of pinching pennies? I have regrets about not traveling more than we did in the last decade. Well, great question, Charles. And, you know, you're not alone. A lot of people feel like this. They've worked hard. They've saved money. They kind of get in the habit of not overspending. And then all of a sudden they get to a point in their lives where they have more than they'll ever need. And um, they don't necessarily just want to pass it all on and they go back and they do a little bit of a reset and say, hey, we can spend some more money. So, you know, if you have enough and you know you're not going to run out of money, Charles, then more power to you. If you are still healthy enough to travel and do all these things, then then go for it. Travel. Have a great time. Do the things that you love to do. Um, I hate to use the phrase you only live once um, because it's a little cliche, but in a sense, you know, you deserve it. If you've done that well financially, you deserve it. And um, just make sure that you aren't going to run out of money. Make sure you sit down with a financial advisor and they run a projection based on a very low interest rate, maybe three or 4% that you are not going to um, run out of money. Isn't that just a great example of why somebody needs to have a plan in place before they retire? I mean, it's almost heartbreaking to hear somebody say, man, we could have lived a lot better these last 10 years, our first decade of retirement, if only I'd known that I was okay. Charles was in fine shape, but I guess he didn't have anybody to tell him that he was in fine shape. And so he's been pinching pennies needlessly for a decade. Well, and the other side of that is uh, that Charles here, and hopefully you're listening, Charles, you're probably much more healthy. You're probably much more um, able to travel and do all kinds of things when you were 69 versus now when you're 79. So it sounds like you're still in good shape, but a lot of people aren't. A lot of people, you know, have the ability from a health standpoint to travel and do all kinds of things in their 60s, maybe in their early 70s. By the time they get into their late 70s and 80s, they can't do all the things that they want to do. You know, my mom and dad can't travel like they used to. They have plenty of money. They've done a great job saving. They've been frugal and they've got a nice nest egg set aside, but they just can't do all the things that they want to do. So again, like John says here, the reason you want to work with a financial advisor is so you find out that you could spend more money and then you can decide if you want to or not. Um, but you want to find out what are your capabilities? What do you have the ability to do? Then make the decision whether you want to or not. Very good question, Charles. Thanks for submitting. How about Ruth? Ruth is up next, and she says, I've been approached about buying an insurance policy that would cover all of my cemetery and funeral home costs when I die. I'll have more than enough for these expenses without the insurance money, but I like the idea of the kids knowing that there's money specifically earmarked for those costs so they don't have to worry about it. Is this a good purchase? Yeah, Ruth, without even seeing the numbers, I would say that most of the time it's not a good purchase. If you have the money set aside... Uh, if you have enough money to cover those expenses, then just open up a separate account and, and put the money over there, whether that's ten or fifteen or twenty thousand dollars or whatever it might be. You know, set aside a savings account. It can be just a simple savings account or a cash account, money market account, and set it up separately and let your kids and grandkids know that, hey, this is for final expenses and put the money over there. You can even maybe earn one, two, three percent interest on it. But for you to buy an insurance policy, you know, what tends to happen is you pay much more for the insurance than, than maybe you get out 
Um, you know, I've seen people pay in $6,000 over a course of a 18, 20 year period. And then they only get out 5,000 as a death benefit. So I think if you have the money, set it aside. Again, I haven't sp- seen the specific numbers, but most of the time it makes sense for you to set up your own side fund. Now, with that said, if you don't have enough money, if somebody is out there and you're listening to me and you don't have enough set aside, then maybe it makes sense to buy a final expense policy. And again, this is why you want to sit down with a planner. Um, even if you don't have a lot of money, get a second opinion. There are f- plenty of financial planners that will work Pro bono is what the lawyers call it, you know, on behalf of of the community and work for free. And we do that. We'll sit down with somebody that doesn't have a lot of money and um, just give them financial advice. They may never become clients, but we'll help out with these kinds of things. So if you don't have a lot of money, maybe you should buy the insurance, but talk to somebody before you do. Final question today is from Karen, who says, I'm 54 and had planned to retire in my mid-60s, but recently I've had a lot of success with my side business making purses and selling them on Etsy. I believe that I could sustain myself just doing this if I quit my job and focused on it full time. What do I need to consider if I'm going to semi-retire 10 years early and do this instead? Well, you need to consider what would happen if it didn't work. So, Karen, what you're talking about here is very, very common. You've got a side business. It's starting to become more profitable. Um, You're not devoting 100% of your time to it because you have your main full-time job. But if you could devote 100% of your time to it and it continued to do as well as it's doing now, maybe you could make more money at that than you can your regular job. What you need to do is sit down with someone. We can do this for you. Or if you're working with an advisor that's really astute, they have to they have to understand businesses and the risks of having a business that might change overnight and, and become less profitable. But if they do understand that, you know, do a projection. Do a projection assuming that you make the same amount of money that you're making today and you lose your job, right? So you're going to quit your job, but you're going to make the same amount of money you're making today through your private business and see what that looks like. And then run some scenarios, stress test that, pretend that you're only going to do half as much business out of your own business. Maybe you're going to do double or triple. Run all those scenarios so that you know what you're getting into. It's okay to take the risk as an entrepreneur. That's how great businesses are built and that's how freedom uh, happens with an individual is by creating their own businesses. But at the same time, you need to you want to know the upside and the downside. So get a good retirement projection. Um, figure out, you know, can you finance that business and are you going to be okay if the business doesn't work out three or four years from now? And we can do all that for you. I mean, this is what we do for folks. We sit down and do financial projections based on whatever unique situation they have. Your situation is unique. It's different than Somebody else's is different than my neighbor's. Mine is different than my neighbor's. And so you don't want a cookie cutter financial approach. When we sit down with you, when you come in, we get to know you. We take a lot of time to hear who you are, what makes you tick, what are your dreams, what do you aspire to, what are you afraid of, what's the worst thing that could happen from a financial standpoint. And we put all that together in a report that tells you if you're going to be okay. Is your money going to last for the rest of your life? Um, We want to stress test the investments you have. So when the market downturn comes, you have a reasonable expectation of how much your portfolio could be affected. And then we put it all together in a one-page plan so that, Karen, if it's you and you're thinking about starting a business, you can have that. If you're like many of our clients, those of you that are listening to me right now, um, you work for a big company and you've done a good job saving money, but you just want to make sure that you're going to be okay. And we can help you do that through our process. It's, you've heard me talk about it before. It's called the Money Map Process. And we put your whole financial life on one page. We make it simple. We make it easy. 
and there's no obligation, but we want to help you. Some people become clients, some don't. That's perfectly all right. We've been very blessed as a company. As you know, we've got offices um, all over the community here, and we want to help everybody that wants our help. So if that's you, give us a call. Um, Call at 1-800-705-1232. Once again, I'll give that number out. It's 1-800-705-1232. Get your financial plan, get your second opinion, get your money map. You will benefit from it because you'll get peace of mind and you'll feel more organized. And so call now, 1-800-705-1232. You can come into the office, we'll sit down with you, we'll give you your custom financial plan, your money map, and you can get a copy of one of my books. That's 800-705-1232. That's the number to call, 800-705-1232. No cost or obligation to come sit down with Joel Johnson's team at Johnson Brunetti, 800-705-1232. Call or text, whichever's easiest for you. You'll get a copy of one of Joel's books when you come in for your Money Map Retirement Review, 800-705-1232. That's all we have time for this week. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll talk with you next time right here, same time, same place, on Joel Johnson's Money Wisdom. Money Wisdom is sponsored by Johnson Brunetti. Investment advisory services offered through JB Capital LLC, a registered investment advisor. Insurance products offered through JN Financial LLC. Johnson Brunetti is a paid sponsor of the Yukon Huskies athletic program. Better Money is sponsored by Johnson Brunetti.